You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Not read it just now. We'll read it as we go through it. Just to explain that um, I was thinking what to call this without stopping younger people coming, because this is a psalm for old people. And I'm not sure which of you are willing to identify in that particular category. Uh, There is um, a tendency in our culture to think that getting old is a bad thing. And we need to to turn that one around completely. I remember going up to visit the Beald Housing Association and speaking to a woman who I said to her, what do you do here? She says, oh, I look after the old ones. I said, how old are you? She said, I'm 92. I said, who are the old ones? She says, she, she's 102, she's 104. I said, okay, fair enough. Um, so it, it can all be relative. But we do live in a culture where old age is considered to be a curse. Um, I remember the Who singing, hope I die before I get old. Well, they haven't. And, you know, especially those of you who are younger, you think, well, okay, this is a song for older people, so it's not really for me. Actually, it is. If we had a youth service, the older people might say, this is not really for me, because they're not going to be young again. But if God spares you, you are going to be old, and you need to prepare for that. And there's there's an urgency and something here, I think, that is very, very profound. I love the story of Charles Simeon. Simeon was a clergyman in 1836, he retired rather in 1836 after 54 years of being a vicar, a minister at Holy Trinity, Cambridge. And a friend of his, when he discovered that retiring after 54 years, I don't know how old he was, probably 80, uh, discovered that he was still rising at four o'clock in the morning to light his own fire and spend time alone with God. And his friend challenged Simeon and said this, Mr. Simeon, do you not think that now you are retired, you might take things more easily? And I love Simeon's reply. He said this, what? Shall I now run? Shall I now not run with all my might when the winning post is in sight? In other words, the Christian is the opposite of the, the world. The world's saying, oh, well, I'm old, and I'm just fading away, and so on. Actually, if you're an older Christian, you're, you're near the winning post. You're near the end, and you don't chill out, relax, say, I'm just going to... You really go for it. Now, that's, this is what this psalm, I think, is about. I think the psalm itself is a great example of... Um, for the retired and a challenging portrait of a real Christian life for us all. I did, honestly, I'm I'm a child of my culture, so I grew up with the attitude, oh my goodness, when I get to 25, that is old, and then 30, and then 40, and then 50, you know, and you meet someone. And a lot of us have that attitude, because how many of you, especially if you're women, if I was to say happy birthday to you, and this is your age, you'd, you'd be really annoyed you don't want people to know how old you are. Why not? I'm five years old, says the child, really happy. I'm five years and five months. And you don't want people to know that you've lived for 70 years or 60 years or 80 years. Why not? It should be a cause of immense 
thankfulness. The psalm, for those of you who know the psalms well as we read it, you will recognize quotations and ideas from other, several other psalms. I think what is unique about this one is that it is clearly the song of an older man. And therefore, he's able to draw upon a rich variety of experiences and previous songs. You know how you sometimes get a younger person who's desperate to tell you all they know about life? Like Wayne Rooney writing his autobiography at 25 years old, and you're going, what? We've very little to say. Well, actually, we've got far too much to say when we're younger. But we've really got very little to say. And I think uh, this psalmist here, he's giving his testimony. He's using a life of long experience to tell us about how God deals with his people. And I think this is a life of prayer and of praise. Maybe also it's important for us to remember, I, I don't know if this is true, it's not in the, the title, but many uh, church commentators, Bible commentators throughout the ages have considered this to be a psalm of David that he did at the time of the story with Absalom when his own son was trying to kill him. So let's begin. We'll read uh, verses one, two, three to start with. Um, and maybe I could ask David if you could turn my microphone down just a wee bit because I'm getting a wee echo and uh, I, I hate hearing my own voice. You guys just have to suffer it. Thank you. Psalm 71. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Rescue me and deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Now, as I say, the whole psalm, there's a lot in it, so I'm not going to be able to go into any great detail, but I want you just to get the general picture. And this is a, a, a psalm which keeps breaking. There are sections on prayer and sections on praise. And here, his first prayer is he's asking God to vindicate him. He's asking God to be his righteousness. He's asking God especially to be his refuge. And you note especially, I'm going to take in each of the sections one thing out, and here is, be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. When you get older, one of the things that happens is your friends start dying. Your family might be in different parts of the world. And to be an elderly person and to be alone, did you see, any of you see the the, the news clip about the two Italian pensioners. I think they were in Rome or whatever, and it showed the police going to visit them because the neighbors had heard what they thought was sounds of distress and wondered what was wrong with them. And they were in their 80s or 90s even, and they were crying because they'd been watching the television. And it was just amazing. I thought it was an amazing picture because they were, they'd been watching the television and they, they were... They were all alone, and they were saying, what is wrong with the world? What is happening to our world? And they were scared, and they were, they were just lonely. And it was just a lovely picture of the Italian police. They decided what we're going to do. So what they did, they went in, and they cooked them. I'm sorry if you're Italian, but it's a bit stereotypical. They cooked them spaghetti bolognese, um, which most students could manage to do. And, they, 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 and there was this video of the, these policemen just cooking food, for this elderly couple who were so distressed at the state of the world and so alone. Well, sometimes 
you've nothing but the television for company. You've no one to go to. You have the, might have, even have something in your, in your toilet that's a red thing that you can pull that someone will come. You maybe got a phone that you can phone for an emergency. And here, the psalmist is saying, you are always my refuge. You're always my refuge. There are other people that I cannot always go to, but there is a spiritual, if you like, NHS 24, that you can always go to God. And that's what he prays. Lord, be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Then from verse 4 to verse 11, deliver me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of evil and cruel men. For you have been my hope, O sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From my birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. I've become like a portent to many, a sign to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. Do not cast me away when I'm old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone, for my enemies speak against me. Those who wait to kill me conspire together. They say, God has forsaken him. Pursue him and seize him, for no one will rescue him. Be not far from me, O God. Come quickly, O my God, to help me, and so on. What is he doing here? The psalmist is giving thanks to God for God's lifelong care of him. He remembers his youth. He counts his blessing. From the womb, he says, he relied on God. I love it when, as elders, we meet with new members, as we did uh, earlier this, this evening, and you'll meet them later on. And sometimes you get somebody who comes and say, I wasn't a Christian. I didn't know what Christianity was. I turned away. I, I knew nothing about it. And then I had this amazing conversion. And that's wonderful to hear. And then sometimes someone will come in and they'll, they'll kind of murmur, I, I don't have much of a testimony. I didn't. I grew up in a Christian home. I can't remember when I became a Christian. I've always believed in God. It's not really, I don't really have a testimony. And you go, what? You've got one of the greatest testimonies of all. From my womb, from my birth, I have relied on you. What does it mean, from my birth, he relied on God? Was he aware when he was born that God was with him? Not at all. But the lack of awareness doesn't make it any less true. The baby is not aware of many, many things. If I went to any one of the newborn babies here and said to them, right, are you aware who your parents are? They're not able to consciously put it through, but it's, it's there. There's, no, there's, there's a, uh, a dependence on and an awareness of. I wonder if it's not true that every single human being is born into this world with an awareness of God and rather than have to be educated into belief in God, in a Western secular culture, they are educated out of the natural condition, which is for human beings to believe. But whether or not that is the case, here the psalmist is saying, God's never let me down. Many of you, some of you anyway, will be aware of the story of the church, ancient church father Polycarp, who before he was executed, was asked to deny Christ, and he just simply said this, I have served Christ these 86 years, 
and he has not once injured me, and shall I now deny him? What a great testimony an older person has if they've been a Christian for many years. You have been my hope. You have been the one I've trusted all the time. You're the one where all my expectations are. And there's a lesson for those of us who are middle-aged or younger. Where are our expectations? What are we longing for in our hearts? What are the things which thrill us? What are the good things that we are looking forward to? If we love God, then everything that thrills us and gives us pleasure and joy is just the voice and light of Christ, if you like, drawing us, encouraging us to praise Him and to see Him. Pusey puts it this way, nothing which God could create is what we hope for. Nothing which God could give us out of Himself, no created glory or bliss or beauty or majesty or riches. What we hope for is our redeeming God Himself, His love, His bliss, the joy of our Lord Himself, who has so loved us to be our joy and our portion forever. There is apparently a man in Indonesia who is 145 years old. Now, they're trying to verify his birth certificate, but can you imagine that? Born in 1870. And he's saying his, grandchildren, his children have died and his grandchildren have died, and he's saying, I'm ready to die. I've been around for long enough. Can you imagine that? 145. Just think of when you're going to be 145. For some of you, you'll make it this century. Others won't. It's just extraordinary. But he says, I've got nothing left. In a way, when you see an old Christian whose body is frail and weak, and they are near death, and they say to you, everything I longed for in this life has gone. It's gone. But everything I've lived for is coming. That is an amazing testimony. Spurgeon says this, old age robs us of personal beauty and deprives us of strength for active service, but it does not lower us in the love and favor of God. I was appalled when I was in Australia to hear a series of interviews on a program on Australian television with young people, and one in particular, a sociology lecturer back in the United Kingdom, talking about the Brexit vote, leave aside the politics of it, it was what he said about the older generation. He said the older generation should not be allowed a vote or should have less of a vote because they don't matter so much because they're not going to live as long as we are. And you're thinking, don't you grasp that this older generation, either they or their fathers and mothers died fighting for your freedom. But it was the attitude and the contempt towards the elderly. You see it sometimes. You see an old person walking down the street. I, for me, the, the, the best way I can think of this is um, Murdo McLeod, who was an elder here with us. Uh, he was driving along with his wife, and I think my son was in the car. And um, they're going on the Kingsway, the inner road. And there was this old lady with a zimmer, right? Just 
in the middle of the Kingsway or whatever it was, in the middle of the inner ring, and just taking ages. And you can see people around in their cars. They're really frustrated because you know, they want to get a move on. And what's this old person doing? And oh, for goodness sake. And Murdo had completely the opposite attitude. He was going, oh, look at her. Isn't she doing well? Isn't she great? Oh, my, look how well she's doing. And it was just lovely that that was the attitude that he had. If you're an older person, you look in the mirror and you see the wrinkles and you're frail and you can't bounce up the stairs and you don't have the energy and vitality of youth, please don't think that God views you the way that some people in society might view you, that somehow you are lessened in the love and favor of God. Not at all. David says, even when I'm being attacked, I have become a sign to many. My life is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. The very things that could have caused David to slip into a deep depression are the things which cause him to have greater praise and to prayer. Verses 12 and 13, be not far from me, O God. Come quickly, O my God, to help me. May my accusers perish in shame. May those who want to harm me be covered with scorn and disgrace. He wants God to deal with his enemies, with the personal threat and the loss of public reputation. But again, notice his plea especially, please be near me, be not far from me, O God. And then from verse 14, but as for me, I shall always have hope. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteousness, of your salvation all day long, though I know not, (coughs) sorry, though I know not its measure. I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, O sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteousness, yours alone. Since my youth, O God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Again, he talks about how God has been with him from his youth, teaching him. Plato said this, there is nothing more divine than the education of children. We've been praying about the schools Uh, Mark's a teacher, Uh, some of you others of you are involved in education, all of you who have children involved in education, it was a joy for me this morning, Um, although I'm very sorry I missed Sinclair's sermon, I will listen to it uh, online if he's not wiped the tape, but um, I will piece together the bits I hear from all of you, Uh, but I was sorry to miss that, but it was a delight to go and be in the creche and also to wander around the Sunday school and What stunned me was, one, the number of children. I counted 49. I'm sure there were a couple hiding somewhere. Uh, Plus, the number of teachers. And I'm thinking, we're investing all this in these children. Why? Because Plato is actually correct. There's something, or there's nothing more defined than the education of children. If we want to stick with the Greek philosophers, Socrates said that God is the mind of the universe. And the consequence of that is that without God, we're all demented. With him, we are wise. And here's the sad thing. It is not child abuse to teach children about God. It is child abuse not to teach them about God. That's the sad state that we are moving to in our society and culture. The psalmist is saying, you've taught me, O God. To this day, I'll tell of your marvelous deeds. He's received God's revealed truth. God has acted on his behalf. Verse 16, I will proclaim your righteousness years alone. What is fascinating here for me 
is that this verse was quoted more than a hundred times by Augustine to show us that righteousness comes from Christ alone and not by our own works. The Psalmist is saying, I'm not talking about myself. I'm not talking about the good things that I have done. I'm going to talk about what God has done. I will declare all that he has done. This is my testimony. In fact, it's even more than that because it says that he can't count them. Verse 15, I know not its measure. I'm unable to count, but I will recount. I will say what he has done. Sometimes you may have met, you may meet an older person who's been really lonely, not had anyone to speak to for a while, and you go in and you say, do you want a wee cup of tea? And you sit down, you have a wee cup of tea, and you're going to be there three hours because they have got to tell you everything about their life. And even in three hours, they've only got to when they were a teenager. They've so much to tell you. Well, here is the aged Christian wanting to tell what God has done. When all my mercies, O my God, my rising soul surveys, transported with the view, I'm lost in wonder, love, and praise, as Joseph Addison wrote. And so he prays again, even when when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. Again, he wants God to be near, but he wants God to be near for a purpose because he wants to tell the next generation. He's not the older person who's sitting in their house, hiding behind the curtains, looking at the teenagers on the street corner or hearing the young people, uh, the kids shouting out in the street and going, oh, what a terrible world. Oh, he, he wants to tell them. It's not just about him. He wants to talk about God's great acts in the past, including in his own life, so that the next generation will benefit. Now, we live in a perverse culture where younger people are being taught, really, you don't need to listen to older people. I mean, what have they got that's interesting? What do your parents know? What do your grandparents know? Actually, a great deal. In in commenting on this, uh, Michael Wilcox talks about the strange idea that we have in our culture that because biblical truth is old, somehow it's obsolete. He says this, the idea that the passage of time renders biblical truth obsolete is one of the most idiotic of modern ideas. There is nothing more old-fashioned than yesterday's new thinking, and today's, if we had the nous to realize it, is about to go the same way. So people go, ah, I'm not listening to them, they're old people, or I'm not listening to this, it's out of date, it's old-fashioned. I'm sorry, but what you are thinking today will tomorrow be out of date and old-fashioned. But what God reveals in his his word is always ever new. I think also there's a word of warning here to the older person. Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. And I think the word of warning is this. I think this is a prayer that he would not turn back. In recent years, and it's only in recent years, I've become aware of Christians, older Christians, who have begun the race well, but as they get towards old age, they finish it badly. And I have to admit, it's a little bit of a personal 
apprehension, even fear for me. Lord, please don't let me finish the race badly. Don't let me be one of those Christians who in my youth was full of zeal and who in my middle age retained zeal and showed even a wee bit of wisdom and when I get to old age, become cynical and bitter and far away from you. I can think of older people in this congregation and people I've known throughout my life who when I think about the Christian faith, I think, you know, it must be true because of them. And I'm so grateful for them. But I can also think of older people and I just say, Lord, please don't let me become like that. And that may sound incredibly harsh and judgmental, but you know what I'm talking about. Don't finish badly. And then the remainder of the psalm, your righteousness reaches to the skies, O God, you who have done great things. Who, O God, is like you? Though you have made me see troubles many and bitter, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will again bring me up. You will increase my honor and comfort me once again. I will praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praise to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you, I whom you have redeemed. My tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long, for those who wanted to harm me have been put to shame and confusion. It's interesting, isn't it, as well, sometimes how we associate music with younger people. And I think that's a cultural thing rather than a, a, a human truth. I visited a man this week who is older, and the way that he helps himself and deals with a particular illness is to play music. I think of the, uh, a man called Suzuki who is from Japan and who is the foremost Bach interpreter in the world. His stuff is unbelievable. He's now uh, an older man, and yet he still retains, and he's still got this incredible sense of understanding of uh, Bach's music. Well, here the psalmist is saying, I'm going to praise you, and it's David, and he said, I'm going to praise you on the harp. I'm going to praise you on the lyre. I am going to tell people And this is what he says he's going to tell them. I'm going to tell them about you, your character, and your acts. And then he says something that is very profound. You've made me see troubles many and bitter. The strange providence of God in hard times. He's surrounded by many hard and bitter troubles. Sometimes I think, as adults, we're like the child in the womb unaware of the presence of God, so also as adults, when we're experiencing great trouble, sometimes we are unaware of the presence of God. And yet the psalmist says, you've always been there. You've always been there. And so he says, I I know. I know that you will bring me up from the depths of the earth. I know you will increase my honor and comfort me once again. And so I will praise you. I want my fingers to play, my lips to sing, my tongue to tell. I think I probably want to include myself in this category, but some old people just want to tell you everything about their grandchildren. Uh, I had a great time in the creche this morning showing the babies, my baby, uh, my granddaughter, and uh, one or two of them were really appreciative, and one of them weren't, two of them weren't all that interested. I didn't care. I was going to talk. And actually, they were listening. 
uh, probably listening better than most of you who are going, yeah, yeah, we've heard it all before. Yeah, you, of course you want to tell about your children or your grandchildren if you have them, or you want to tell about different things. But the psalmist is saying, I, I, I want to tell you about the Lord. And I think there's something really important for those of you who are older here, however you define that category. God's not finished with you yet, and that's why you're here. It's why you're not dead, because your race is not over. It may be very soon. It may not be very soon. But he has left you here for a purpose, because there is work for you to do, and there is preparation, if you like, for heaven, for you, and also for others. Who, O oh God, is like you? Calvin says this, the exclamation of David then, who is like you, tends to teach us the lesson that we should force our way through every impediment by faith and regard the power of God, which is well entitled to be so regarded as superior to all obstacles. All men indeed confess with the mouth that none is like God, but there is scarce one out of a hundred who is truly and fully persuaded that he alone is sufficient to save us. I cannot walk. I find things so difficult. I struggle to remember things. I have difficulty sleeping at night. I think I'm ready to go home. Maybe there's a lot of different things that go through the mind and heart of an older person. But if you are a Christian older person, it's not that you don't feel these things. It's not that you don't see the obstacles. But what you do is you say, I believe that the God who is with me from the womb, I believe that this God is with me now and this God can overcome every single obstacle. And I'm telling you, when you meet an older Christian who despite their infirmity, despite their weakness, has that attitude, it is the most faith-affirming thing that you will ever experience. Even in dementia. I remember I had a, a, a lovely old elder up in Brora, and he did. He did have dementia, and he reverted to his childhood language of Gaelic. He would often speak in Gaelic, and when he wasn't speaking in Gaelic, he would um, say, uh, you know, quite unusual things, sometimes quite, uh, quite amusing, and, and yet what shone through, even in his dementia, was his incredible love and hope in Jesus Christ. I remember him praying one time, Lord, as it says in your word, uh, as it says in your word, oh, what does it say? Oh, dash it, Lord, you know anyway. <laughs> I just thought it was lovely. Lord, you know anyway. I remember him praying one time for, he said, we pray for... Um, Oh, Lord, you know their name. You know everything about them. You know what I mean. And he was right. He was right. I think, you know, I don't want this church. We, we had a problem in this church at one point with very few older people. I would have people go in and say, oh, I wish I had that problem. No, you don't. Because... To have people in the church who've been following Christ for 30, 40, 50 years and who are still going strong and who are still enthusiastic, 
That is a tremendous thing. And some of you know this story because I've, I've, it's a personal story for me that was very uh, moving and important here, but I, I, I want to mention it because it is communion, and some of you won't know of this man, a man called Bill Henry, who was an elder here, worked in the shipyards, and uh, had a lot of, he could have said with David, you've made me see many troubles, many and bitter. And I remember going, being through in the holes there long before they were done up, and it was dark and dreary and everything else, and Bill was there, and he was hopping around on one foot, hopping around. I said, Bill, what's wrong with you? You've got ants in your pants today. And he was 80 years old, and he said, I, he said, I've never seen this. We've got double figures at a prayer meeting. There was, I think, 11 people. And he said, I'm so excited. He said, I have to tell you this. He said, I have been praying for 20 years that God would take me home. I've just been fed up. I just want God to take me home. I said, now, he said, I'm praying that he'd let me hang on a little bit because I'm not sure if I can see this from heaven and I want to see what's going to happen. And he was so excited. He was far more excited than any of the students and younger people who were coming. And he was just a great gift because his zeal and love for the Lord through all the troubles that he'd had shone through. I just thought, you know, <laughs> what a great thing. And he, his prayer was answered. He lived two years, came one Sunday, had communion on a Sunday evening, and then went home and died, and he was with the Lord. But what a, what a, just a, what a great attitude. Who is like you, O oh God? Let me challenge the older people here. I do not want students coming to this church in packs and going away in packs without speaking to you. And they won't because they're young and naive. Most of them won't. Some will. You have to go and speak to them and welcome them and talk to them. And they will benefit so much from you. It's unfair to name anyone, but I know older uh, people in this congregation who welcome and take students back to their home. It's great. The food is great. But what's much more important is that they get to meet you as an older Christian. I know it's a disaster when I meet a younger Christian who's never met or spoken to an older Christian and doesn't know what it is to have a father in the Lord or a mother in the Lord. So you are, sometimes older people go, am I any use in this church? What use can I be? You are kidding me. You are absolute gold dust. And you are really needed. And please remember that. And may this psalm be your song to people that you're telling of what God has done throughout your life and you're, you're waiting. The best is yet to be. And who knows? I'm not just talking about heaven. Maybe the best years of your life on this earth are ahead of you. Who knows that? Don't buy into the, now I'm old and decrepit and everything's fading. Maybe not. Maybe you're going to be closer to the Lord in these last years of your life and you're going to bring more people to see who Jesus is than you did in the previous decades of your life. It's an exciting time to be alive and to be elderly. And those of us who are younger, let's look forward to that. It'd be great. Let's say, Lord, I'd love to be an old person who's got years and years of experience, not years and years of regrets. It's not a Christian song. Regrets, I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. In fact, it's an anti-Christian song. But this, that particular sentiment, I hope that we can have. One day... We're going to have communion just now, but one day this will be your last communion. Then you will go to the great feast in heaven.
If you're not a Christian, I ask you just simply to think about that as we take communion and think about where you, you as an older person, what hope you have, or even as a younger person, what hope you have. But for the Christian, may your heart be filled with thankfulness. Amen. Let's uh, sing the song, Jesus Paid It All, as we prepare to take communion. Uh, We'll sing this, and then for uh, the benefit of visitors, let me just explain that this communion is the Lord's table. If you are a believer in Jesus, and you're a member of a baptized member of another Christian church, you're very welcome to share communion with us. It's not our table, it's the Lord's table. If you're not a believer, we'd ask you, we won't take too long, so I'd ask you just to wait and to um, observe what goes on, but you um, join with us as we sing together, first of all, Jesus paid it all. Let's stand. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.